is I just wanted to, to pop on here and give you a heads up that during this episode today we had a technical difficulty or two um, so around the midway mark around the 47 minute mark uh, we got disconnected so there's going to be <laughs> a little start and then a start and then a, uh, a stop and then a start up again so just giving you a heads up right right around the 47 minute mark kind of goes a little haywire but then picks right back up and then towards the end we lose uh, my guest where our where, as we are wrapping up so just a little heads up I hope you enjoyed today today's episode it was a really fun one for me to record a really good conversation hope you enjoy it and uh hope you enjoy all things halloween good morning good afternoon good evening good day one and all and most importantly happy halloween Happy Halloween, everybody! Um, it is I. It is I, the man behind the microphone. The, I guess for tonight, the host of horror. I will call myself. Yeah, that that doesn't sound that, that that doesn't sound pretentious in the slightest. But the host of horror. Uh, it is I, Vic. Welcome to Vic's horrifyingly rocking podcast. Um, we've made it. It is Halloween, or at least when you're hearing this, it's Halloween. For me, it is uh, October thirtieth, also known as Mischief Night. Um, Yes, we, we, we're here, my absolute favorite day in the entire world, and what better thing to discuss than the movie that started it all for a lot of people, uh, the movie that broke a lot of barriers, um, the movie that had a ton of influence for horror for many years since 1978, uh, the one and only uh, Halloween and uh, the person I'm bringing on, my special guest today, uh, my special guest today is happens to actually be my brother-in-law. So I was very happy that my sister married a gentleman that is also heavily into this movie. Uh, I get to share my love of this uh, of this feature film uh, with uh, my brother-in-law, Nick. Nick, how you doing on the on this on this fine day? Hi, Vic. Thanks for having me, man. Happy or Merry Christmas, I should say to you. I know uh, this is your favorite holiday, and I know you're spending it doing it what you love, talking Halloween. Talking and you're right. Halloween. Yep. This, this was the one. This was the one that started it off for a lot of people in the genre, me included, for sure. Definitely, definitely. It's a, uh, it's uh, I always get, I, 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 I get in the Halloween spirit uh, when my birthday happens. And my birthday is always right around Labor Day, so I know once Labor Day starts, uh, hits, then I'm officially in Halloween season. I think I went to Spirit Halloween. Um, oh God, I think it was actually before my birthday this year. I found one. A good 40 minutes away that had opened prior to Labor Day. So my Halloween season started even before the summer ended, technically. So uh, uh, I'd expect nothing less. <laughs> I'm that person. I'm that person uh, at work. Uh, everybody kind of knows me as the horror person. Uh, people uh, don't expect anything less of me. And they know that if anybody in my line of business uh has a has an insane collection of horrifyingly spooky, scary, unique stuff. It is it is I. Um, so that's kind of the reputation that I have. Um, but yes, we are here for those that had listened to. I think it was episode one or two. It's uh, it was about my origins. 
um, I I really made a point to say that 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 this was uh, this was sort of the movie for me. Um, I I don't remember. I I remember being loosely into horror uh, growing up. Uh, growing, you know, uh, I remember like m- the Monster Squad being a very big part of my childhood. But then I remember yeah. officially remember this movie being. The one I remember, my grandmother, who was very much into this film. Uh, I remember she and I would watch this often, and uh, I was probably a little too young to watch it, but I definitely, uh, I was definitely watching it, and it made a major impression on me that has clearly stuck with me my entire life. Um, I say, I say that that this is this is the one that really brought me into the genre. Um, and even though the franchise and the series itself, I am not the biggest fan of because I feel like it, right. it I feel like it loses some of its uh, it kind of uh, it's it, it goes a, a little astray for me and it doesn't have much of a consistency in terms of the quality of films. Um, but I the first one by far is if if anybody asked me my favorite Halloween movie and for full disclosure, I actually just finished watching it. So it's very, very, very fresh in my mind. Um, This is probably my absolute favorite movie of all time. It's guy, it's a, it's a masterpiece in some ways. It has, it has a bunch of, it has a few flaws in it that tend to annoy me uh, here and there when I see them, but all, all in all nitpicking aside, uh, it's a truly wonderful work of art. Um, absolutely, uh, kind of revolutionized the business uh, of 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 movie making and especially of horror. Um, and and we'll get more into this later. And at the end of this, Nick, I'm going to drop some finance numbers on you about how much money this movie made at the time and uh, what that translates to today with inflation and it's love it it's gonna it's gonna blow it's gonna really surprise you um just actually hear you know how much money the movie actually made at the time and certain things about it so before we get rolling with everything um like 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 i said this is where we are recording this um uh sort of uh later on on october 30th so it officially is mischief night so I guess I guess we'll title tonight the night before he came home, uh, which is a little play yes. on which is a little play yes, on the uh, love that a little play on the on the tagline for those that know the Halloween um, movie poster. The tagline for the movie is the night he came home. So tonight is the night before he came home. Um, just uh, uh, out of curiosity, was was mischief night a, a, a thing for you ever growing up? I, you know, I honestly, I never engaged in it all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a few years I can remember my brother and I getting into some trouble, but uh, not, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, to the degree that, you know, you, you would think of growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, we were pretty basic, few eggs, few uh, rolls of toilet paper to the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much, <laughs> that's really it. We mm-hmm. were, we were really the guys inside. I hate to say it, but watching film, watching okay. horror movies, you know, yep. that's really how we spent the whole month of October. You know, my mm-hmm. brother was a huge 
Jason Voorhees fan, and I was mm-hmm. obviously a huge Michael Myers fan, so we would mm-hmm. always go back and forth and, mm-hmm. you know, compare notes on who was the bigger villain or the, what was the better <laughs> film collection, you know, and uh, I mean, that was, that was our Halloween holiday. That was our, that was our month of October. You know, it meant way more to us than, uh, you know, getting out and causing some ruckus. That was fun, but uh, it was about the movies. It really was. Definitely. That's, that's, so, that's so cool to hear. Yeah. I, actually, so here's something that I, I learned in, like, recent years. Do you know, do you know that, that Mischief Night is pretty much a New Jersey thing only? Come on, really? No. Yes. yes. If you actually I, – I, I, I remember reading an article, I think it was about a year and a half ago-ish, where they talked about how – New Jersey and maybe like the very uh, bordering areas of like Pennsylvania and New York uh, celebrate Mischief Night, and it's not really anywhere else, oddly enough. You know, and then some, and then it has it, it has multiple names to it. Obviously, I I called it Mischief Night, but right. I've, I've also heard that it, that's called Cabbage Night. I'm not quite sure why that's a thing, but Cabbage Night was a thing. Uh, Devil's Night was another thing um but yeah it's a very wow. yeah it's a very regional thing and uh you know when that's I that's interesting you, you see it portrayed in film you know you think it's uh you yeah. know a little bit more widespread that's really interesting yeah i was quite i was i was often i was very shocked that um the um you know for for myself uh mischief night myself and my brother uh with some with some friends you know it was we were it was it was definitely something that that we looked forward to um we didn't cause major problems but we definitely did a lot of shaving creams a lot of eggs a lot of toilet yeah. paper uh we were we we were known to like fill fill socks with uh flour and then beat beat each other up and beat other people up that were <laughs> that were out uh you know partaking so like you come home uh i remember one time uh, there's this picture uh somewhere that uh exists uh it's the four of us coming home right after it and we are it also like poured rain that night it was like i think it was like oh, I, think it, I think it was one of our first ones and we're soaked to the bone but also covered in shaving cream and covered in flour and oh yeah it was just... you gotta got dig that up you gotta post that somewhere that's yeah. great yeah, yeah, it was fun times, and then uh, you know we we might have had an encounter with with, with a cop or two during those years, and uh... <laughs> oh no way, yeah, but, no uh, way, <laughs> but, but yeah, all, all all fun times. Um, but yes, and then October thirty first always always followed the day after. Always uh, Halloween always came. Um, I have I have a lot of like cool memories of Halloween. One that I. I kind of hold dear and I was very young, uh, very young in this happened. Like I was probably second grade ish age, like eight, okay. seven, eight, eight, seven, eight, seven, eight, seven, eight, eight years old. My, my grandfather actually took me to the top of the world trade center on Halloween, which is, wow. uh, yeah, I, <laughs> which is like, wow. I, I have this vivid recollection of being on top of the, uh, of one of the towers and, uh yeah and and then when we left we came home when i trick-or-treated it was like the weirdest uh you know memory but like it's yeah like, that's a day that's that's incredible yeah it's burned in my head um it's something something that you don't forget and then yeah i've had my fair share of uh pretty awesome costumes over the years but uh definitely still at at, at my age uh people ask me you know oh what are you doing and i'm like i'm handing out candy i get very much yeah. i get very much into my halloween i'll be out there with freddy gloves and 
I'm probably going to bring out a mask or two or three or four just to, just to kind of decorate the, you know, my area and hand sure. out the, yep, just to, just that just to enjoy the day all around. But yes, we are here for the, for one reason. And that is, that is the movie that, that brought so many, uh, to the genre. Um, one of the more recognizable characters in uh, in horror history uh, uh, originated from this movie. I guess I guess probably you would say that you would say that there's the big three in in horror. Um, you know, it would, you 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 would say uh, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, and Freddy Krueger. I and Freddy. I I yeah. can't like yes, there are there are there are some other iconic. Uh, characters like you know Ghostface from Scream or uh, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I feel like every single person knows those three names, uh, whether they're horror fans uh, or not. They know who Jason is, they know who Freddy is, and they probably know who Michael Myers is. They are likely, I agree. I think that they're probably the three most recognizable images in mm-hmm. cinema. Mm-hmm. In cinema, you know, as as a character. Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, the only ones that I would actually like say might be uh, as recognizable or more would be in a totally different genre. But I would go with like Godzilla, you know, something that's like yeah, you know, like that's a monster, like, right? That's like right, absolutely, like 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 worldwide known. But like, there's not many characters that, aside from like animated, you know, films that like I think everybody in the planet kind of knows. Um, and you know, the first one out of those three originated in this movie, which was the, the first of the bunch and, uh, definitely, definitely inspired, uh, Friday, the the, Friday, the 13th. I'll I'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, just a little bit of, uh, because I did some research today. Uh, I, I, I broke out the books. I, uh, browsed through, I took some notes and, some things that I thought were kind of interesting, and I'll and I'll uh, I'll just uh, drop this knowledge right now is yeah, lay it on me, lay it yeah, on me. To the the idea of the Halloween, you know, the concept of the of the Halloween movies came when um, independent producer and uh, horror movie fan Erwin Yablins decided he wanted to make a horror film about a maniac who terrorized babysitters. Uh, he felt, and this is a pretty interesting thing. I I agree with this. He felt that the audience could easily relate to that due to the fact that they had all either been a babysitter or at least had been looked after by one. And I was like, yes, that makes sense because I don't know if there's anybody out there who hasn't had a babysitter. Um, it's kind of similar Agreed. to kind of similar yeah. to kind of similar to to like how I felt like the Nightmare on Elm Street series, especially the first one it worked very well because everybody has had a nightmare. So it, it's a, it was, it's a very like, everybody knows that feeling. So, so he right. had, had this concept. He had his own independent company uh, called turtle releasing corporation, um, which was, which had a couple different names over time. And then he had a partner and they screened and distributed a, an, uh, a film for an up-and-coming writer, director, and composer named John Carpenter in uh, 1970, wow. in 1976. The, the, the movie was called The Siege, which, uh, which Yablins actually retitled Assault on Precinct 13. Um, you know, uh, Yablins kind of immediately noticed the, the town of Carpenter, and uh, he wanted 
Carpenter, he had, actually I'd say, he informed Carpenter of his concept and told him that he wanted the film, uh, this concept for the film of Halloween to be set all in one night with minimal locations in order to keep the budget low, that he wanted the night to be Halloween. And, you know, um, he said that he wanted suspense and fear of the unknown and manipulation of the audience, much like in like old uh, Inner Sanctum and Lights Out radio shows. Um, that he listened to as a kid, which I thought was pretty cool. And Carpenter, uh, you got to you got to give him credit for this because he was a brand new director, and uh, he said, "Yeah, I'll do it under three conditions," which is pretty funny. And uh, one was he wanted no interference, meaning he wanted he wanted he wanted the final cut uh, to be his. Uh, he wanted to compose the music, and he wanted his name above the title. So if you ever see. Um, a promotional thing for Halloween, it will always say John Carpenter's Halloween. Very uh, interesting. Which, wow. which is pretty fascinating. Um, and then uh, that was all agreed upon. And then uh, he got hooked up with uh, producer Deborah Hill. And then they co-wrote the film in about 10 days, which is pretty cool. Um, oddly enough, I, I don't know where it is. I have it around here somewhere. Uh, I was rummaging through my basement the other day and, you know, you're always bound to find really interesting stuff in my, in my basement that, <laughs> that, 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 you, that I completely forgot I even owned. And uh, close to 20 years ago, I purchased an, a, a replica of the original script for Halloween and I found my script. Wow. So I have, wow. I have, and a lot of it is, I remember from reading it back when that a lot of it is, uh, very, uh, very exact, or at least very close. And then there are some things that are a little bit, a little bit different of the from the original. So it's very fascinating to to hear, uh, or I should say, to, to to see after all this time. And I think I'm going to have to revisit that um, in the near future. So once the script, once the story was in place, Erwin uh, Yablins contacted his friend, a Syrian-born filmmaker, Mr. Mustafa Akkad. Akkad, yeah, um, no kidding. And then Akkad, Akkad met with John Carpenter, with uh, Deborah Hill, and with Erwin, and was impressed by the pitch, and he decided to put up the $300,000 for the film's budget. Um, Incredible. The budget, yeah. The, the budget for the film <laughs> would actually be uh, would actually rise to about three twenty five or three twenty to three twenty five when they cast uh, Donald Pleasance. Um, Carpenter was paid ten thousand dollars and would eventually receive ten percent of the film's net profits, which he split with Deborah Hill. And uh, the rest, they say, is kind of history. Um, the uh, filming began in uh, spring of nineteen seventy eight in Pasadena, California. And uh, let me ask you this. Do you know anything about the influences of John Carpenter or the influence or the, the stuff that actually directly influenced the making of Halloween? I do. I have a general, you know, I kind of went down this rabbit hole myself over the years with, you mm -hmm. know, where did some of these concepts come from? Mm -hmm. uh, even the concept of Haddonfield, Illinois. Yes. You know, being, I'm sure, you know, Vic, I don't have to tell you this. I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, sure enough, Deborah Hill, mm -hmm. to your point, grew up in a small town called Haddonfield, New Jersey. That's right. Became the influence for the town of Haddonfield, Illinois. I thought that mm -hmm. was awesome. 
Yes, and uh, uh, and Haddonfield, New Jersey, is right next to Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Which so I when I go to my conventions, I have to drive through Haddonfield, which is for me, it's the funnest thing ever. That is cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're driving through Haddonfield. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh this is the Haddonfield. Um, yeah, Carpenter. Uh, you know, Carpenter directly, you know, has said that you know Psycho was probably the probably the most major uh, influence on this film itself. Um, right. Which, which is interesting, and, and obviously we'll uh, d- dive into this in a little bit. But you know the the correlation between Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee, um, mother and daughter. Um, but yeah, the the it's Psycho, oftentimes considered the first, if not one of the first, uh, slasher films. Um, so that is actually credited to helping to, to actually create the genre itself. Um, definitely a, a, a suspense film, uh, murders people with a large butcher knife and also contains themes of like voyeurism of, or like, you know, watching, you know, having that perspective of the killer, watching, right, right. watching the victim, you know, which is very prevalent in Halloween all throughout. Um, there's that there's, um, peeping Tom, which is, I, which is also one of the first slasher movies. Uh, also again, deals with that voyeuristic psychopath, seeing it from the killer's perspective. Um, so yeah, those would be the two really old ones. Um, those that know John Carpenter know that he was heavily influenced by 1950s and sixties sci-fi. So the thing from outer space or the thing, thing from another world, or like, what is, what is the exact title from that? The thing from another world, uh, was the uh, what's a very big influence on him, and he'll and he'll actually go to remake that film uh, a couple of years after Halloween was released. Um, but yes, uh, lots of sci-fi. Uh, in my research, I kind of noticed that he was actually inspired by a few scenes from like the Creature from the Black Lagoon sequel, Revenge of the Creature. It's just like it's a lot of really? cool. Yeah, there's actually a very. Uh, I'm actually looking at the picture right now. Uh, it's a side by side comparison. There's uh, the you know there's the one scene in Halloween where Michael is standing outside the uh, the kitchen as uh, as what is her name as Annie is getting uh, has has just spilled uh, popcorn on herself. He's watching her right. through the window outside, and there's a side by side comparison to the creature actually watching um, the heroine in the Revenge of the Creature. Uh, getting dressed and it's almost the exact same shot. Oh, that's very cool. Pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty very cool. To see. Uh, he was influenced by a lot of Hitchcock, obviously. Um, and then the first, mo- uh, or I should say the first really modern uh, horror movie or first modern slasher movie, most accredited it to being the, uh, what year was this movie? The 1974 Black Christmas. Um, also, the first one would really be like specifically tailored towards a holiday. Um, so you, we have that's Halloween interesting. The, yeah, yeah. We, have, we have Halloween the base that that's uh, you know it's a direct a direct result of that. But yeah, from that whole that that killer and you know, a lot of times you're seeing it from the killer's vantage point. And then the same year, 1974, came uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So we you know we, we we all know how that went with that movie and and the influence that that's had. He was also sure. heavily, heavily, uh, heavily influenced by Italian giallo films, uh, Deep Red being a big one. Um, just you know, just a lot of, lot of really, really, really cool, cool influences that he just brought all, brought all, all, all into play 
even being influenced by like say the exorcist in terms of the the uh, tubular bells uh, theme song which you can kind of see might be yes. somehow somehow related to the overall theme song of the great movie Halloween so that's a little bit of the backstory there let me see if I have um do, 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 do. Yes, so I mentioned that uh, the principal photography uh, began in spring of 1978, and it was completed in less than three weeks. Again, don't forget, you were working with a very tight budget, very small crew. Sure, that's incredible. And then released October 25th, 1978, so we just passed the 42-year anniversary. Um, That's incredible. It's amazing. And it's still, it really is. It's still iconic and still holds up extremely well. Um, the, uh, as soon as they finished uh, production, they went right into post and marketing and screenings. And <clears throat> from here, this is where we get into our just dissection of the, uh, of the overall film. So do you remember or have an idea of when you first saw it. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I was young. Uh, <laughs> to, to your point, I was probably a little younger than, uh, you know, any parent would, uh, would like knowing that their kids are watching slasher films. But I was, I, I couldn't have been much older than 12 or 13 years old. And I mean, I was into it at that point. My, I, <laughs> I, I can't, I'll never forget this. My dad came home with like, at the time, geez, it might have been 1990, I don't know, 98, 99. Mm-hmm. So you figure the majority of the Halloween anthology had already come out at that point up until yeah, like yeah. the curse of Michael Myers. Yep. So, I mean, he had one, two, Season of the Witch, you know, we mm-hmm. can't not yep. count it. Uh, and then the Return and the Revenge, and we would just binge watch them on, on VHS and there was nothing like that first one. At 12 years old, and I'll remember because my parents, my parents were so, so into it. You know, my mom oh. would always say there was nothing scarier to her than than Michael Myers, than just this man, you know, especially after just seeing the first movie. No yeah. one knew his motive. We had no idea yeah. why yeah. he targeted who he targeted and, you know, where the story was going to go. And just the notion of kind of the omnipresence, you know, I I don't know that that was a common theme in movies back then where Mm -hmm. this guy was just everywhere. You Mm -hmm. know, you couldn't get away from him. You really couldn't outrun him. And then as we found out later on, you can't kill him either. (laughs) (laughs) What what are we dealing with here? You know, imagining that as a first time audience, it's uh, Mm -hmm. it was intense, man. And it stuck. It really did. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, uh, I want to. I want to dissect that a, a little bit more. But I feel like as they went, uh, as as a little note before before we head into that a little later, uh, I feel like they lost some of that when they started making the sequels and things became things started becoming explained. And right. I feel. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm just gonna hold that thought before. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to give it away yet. But uh, like I said, I remember seeing it mostly with my grandmother. Um, I actually had, and oddly enough, um, 
So I tend to be on like horror fa- uh, social media group or not uh, like own their own specific social media app uh, directly directed specifically towards horror. And I remember somebody recently had posted a picture of the cover of a blockbuster video VHS tape. And I started laughing hysterically because <laughs> that is that is the VHS that I had uh, because I, you know, it's blockbuster because on the whole left side of the VHS going up, going bottom to top, it says blockbuster on it. And that was my VHS copy of it. I didn't get into the sequels until years later. Um, I didn't really find the series uh, all that much um, until, wow, uh, way later than when I first saw it. So I was just hooked on the original and just watched it over and over and over. Yeah, yeah. and uh, to your point, um, Season of the Witch, it's a very unpopular opinion. I absolutely love Season of the Witch. I do. Uh, I, I do not care that it does not have Michael Myers in it. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is a gem to me. I, I like it better than the greater majority of the other Halloween. Of the rest of the... <laughs> uh, uh, it is, to me, I love that movie. Um, but what I, th- I think what really... Um, helps make Halloween Halloween is there's it's it's a very there's overall simplicity of the actual story like there's not much really to it it's thing I'm not going to say guy or uh, I'll say guy at first but like guy 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 kills someone as a kid guy escapes mental hospital guy goes home guy kills and that's yeah. re- and and like and guy terrorizes the babysitter, but like there's not much really more to that, and like even in the in the actual filming and the production, like there's there's a simplicity to all of it, but it works really 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 well. Like the most simplistic thing, maybe of the entire movie, is just the opening credits, and but it's one of the more impactful. Uh, it sticks with you. Just it's it, it, there's a black screen, and then yeah. the and then the the piano comes on playing the theme song, and then it just opens up to a pumpkin, a jack o' lantern, and that's the entire opening credit with just the camera panning towards the jack o' lantern's eye, uh, eye, yeah. eye. But like it works, and you know Carpenter's soundtrack, you know just the opening theme alone. Like it has again, very simplistic. It's just a five four time uh, signature. That's all it is. Yeah, and, forget it. You know, you put that even on par with like the uh, original score from like Jaws, just in terms mm-hmm. of of again the same recognition. Recognition. Um, yes. It's on. On just uh, to your point earlier, the the whole movie, start to finish, it really is a masterpiece. And maybe even to say that, it kind of sounds like you're giving it too much credit, but you're really not. We're talking mm-hmm. about this movie forty some odd years later. Yep, forty two years later. Yep, you know, forty two years later, and there's two more, and there's two more movies coming out in the next coming out. Yeah, 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 you know, and you know, and I was going to ask you that in, in in any of your research, yeah, if the movie was maybe intentionally uh, originally produced in a very simple fashion as to be able to elaborate on it down the road or carry uh, the story on, or if that was just, you know, a surprise that the franchise lasted so long or, 
you know, there were so many sequels and spinoffs. Yep. I'll, I'll definitely address that towards the end. I know the answer to that. Um, cool. Yes, I know. And I may have a controversial opinion towards it, but I, I, I know, I know the factual answer and then I'll, then, then I'll actually just give my take, but just, oh, the, I love it. but again, like you said, like linking it to like the Jaws theme, like there are very few theme songs that people hear and they know, like I'm a diehard Friday the 13th, um, you know, fan, but like, yeah. I know that if most people heard the Friday the 13th theme song, they wouldn't know what it was. Same thing with, with like Nightmare on Elm Street. They wouldn't know, like most like the majority yeah. of mod of normal people at <laughs> normal wouldn't know <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to throw that in there. Yeah. yeah they, they they wouldn't know that. But to your point, the, the Jaws theme or like the psycho shower scene uh violin. Yes. Yeah. The Halloween theme. Like they know that. They've heard they they it's easily recognizable, and just aside from the opening, and initial theme song, Carpenter's score of that movie is brilliant, and it's all well done. done. On, totally, it's all, it's all done on a keyboard synthesizer. It's like there's no other instrument in the entire movie. It's just him on a piano, basically. Incredible. That really and is incredible when you think about that. Whether whether it's the whether it's it's the main theme and then Lori herself has her own theme song, like a very distinct theme song that that's, that plays with her, whether it's in the original movie, whether it's in Halloween 2 or whether it's in Halloween 2018, Lori has her own designated theme, which is fascinating. And then there are certain things that like the the iconic one towards the end where he's uh, stalking Lori. It, it's a very yeah, distinct, yeah. like you know, it's a dun, 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 yeah. It's just like you know it, and it's it's. But again, it's so simplistic in its in its actual uh, in its actual construction, but so incredibly impactful. And I remember he uh, seeing a documentary once, and this is prior to the film being actually released. But when they did test screenings of the film. They first did it without the soundtrack because it wasn't quite ready yet. Right, and right. The, the, the movie got zero reaction. Zero reaction. And then they put the music in. And you would... Uh, it, the contrast between the reaction that they got or the lack of reaction to the no music to the complete horror sure. of when night and day. it was in. It's night and day. So it really shows actually the importance of just music in general. Um, so we go from the initial opening credits to, again, a very uh, influential and kind of groundbreaking opening scene of you're, you're making this trek here. You see a house and you're walking and you're seeing it from someone's perspective. and You don't know what perspective this actually is or whose this is. Right. And there's, then there's, there you see an outside the house. You see a young woman with, uh, with her boyfriend. And you're looking at the window and you're, and you're watching the light turn off upstairs. And then they walk inside the kitchen, pull out a knife. And it's just like, whoa, it, it's taking you on a journey here. And you don't know where it's going or whose journey you're on. And then they walk upstairs. And he, the, the boyfriend leaves. This person puts a mask on and then proceeds to kill this woman. And it's so masterfully done because it's all, the whole scene is done in two takes 
Take wow. one is everything up until he puts the mask on. Okay. That's when that's when take one ends. Take two is from the mask on until when he walks downstairs after he's converted this woman. And then uh, two people come and you hear Michael and then the mask gets pulled up. And that's take three right there. So it's actually three takes for this iconic scene. And then you learn it's a kid. A kid, and you, yeah. And, but like it, what's beautiful about it is you don't get much out of like there's no reason it's just like all of a sudden it's a kid that killed someone and you don't know what just happened or why and it's just very eerie and then immediately jumps 15 years later to Halloween right. 1978 and now we're in quote unquote modern day for the for the time and right, right. it goes right to the iconic or the the very you know uh, immediately to the car scene with Donald Pleasance and the nurse, you know, Dr. Loomis and the nurse. And immediately Dr. Loomis is setting the stage for the rest of the movie. Um, I, I have said this before because I, uh, I had got into a conversation with a few people um, over the last month. The question was, who do you think is the, is the most important character to Halloween? And, my 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 opinion was that or is that dr loomis played by donald pleasance is the mvp oh yeah hands down hands down because because any because like not i'm not gonna say anybody can play a killer because the nick castle who played michael myers played it masterfully in that movie but Donald Pleasance, a you know, first off, gave the movie legitimacy because he was an actual, like a real actor, a known actor. But from the first scene that you see of him, he's setting this tone of where he's afraid. He yeah. he he's just talking about the evil, you know, the blackest eyes. He's not a man. The very first, you know, in that opening scene, he's calling you know Myers it, like he's right. setting it up, like right, 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 like like he's putting you know everybody else is like you know uh the nurse said to him you're talking you're talking to him like like he's you know like he's not even a man and he goes he's not a man you know it's just like he's setting the he said he's letting you know that um that this character this myers character is is not human something and else he, yeah yeah yep it's just and he's and, and he plays it masterfully throughout the entire movie in my opinion when nobody else believes him or takes it seriously and he's you know, playing this, yeah. Vic, that that actually it, mentally that brings me to the scene where him and Sheriff Brackett are walking uh-huh. through the Myers house. The house, yes. And you've got to your point a little bit earlier. You've got that score starting to go. Yep. As Doctor Loomis is explaining to Brackett, you know, this isn't a man. You know, yep. they've got the dead dog is there. Yep, yep, yep. And you're right. It's a common theme that he tries to – it's almost like he's he's telling the audience that you guys yes. don't know what you're in for. Yes. As much as he's, he's conveying the message yes. to, uh, you know, the town of Haddonfield, he's talking yep. to us. Like, yep. we are about to be in for a long night. Yes. You know what I mean? It's, and it's incredible. It's, it's actually, I have goosebumps saying that. It's very eerie, uh, uh-huh. you know, if you put that in perspective. It's so well done. It is. And then in reality, like, like you think about it, he's actually setting you up for the very end. 
and yes. and and, yep. and and if you don't know what's coming, uh, that end is shocking. And we'll get to the end, obviously, in a little bit. But like you know, like you said, when 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 they go into the Myers house, and like, like I said, I I just saw it, and they were like, oh, it's a dog, or or it could have been a skunk. He goes, man wouldn't have done that. And he and to your point, he said, this isn't a man. This isn't like a man. he's he's laying that foundation, or whether he's you know whether he's um arguing with with someone from the sanitarium he's a, and uh like like the morning after he breaks out and um you know the the one the one doctor's like well if you if, if you if you were so concerned you, you should have told someone and he's like i told, I everybody. told everybody yes yeah, yeah. what a and great then, line yeah even e- e- even back to when you know myers uh takes the car at the beginning and and escapes the sanitarium uh he 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 yells to, to the nurse, he's gone, he's gone, the evil is gone. Like, the evil yeah, is gone. Like right. flat out he's saying he's saying it, evil, you know, darkness, blackest eyes, you know. Just talking about about him as if he's just he's something in a human body. And uh, like I said, Donald Pleasance, you know, that I feel like that man is so responsible for the success of just, just the franchise. If you think about it, he's also he's uh, he's uh, he obviously reprises the the role in part two, and then I think he was a very big part in the in the success of parts four and five and two point six when you know, yeah he died to a degree six. yeah yeah but like but think about it like part four and five you know it's a whole new story you know there's no more Jamie Lee they introduced this this new character this new Jamie Lloyd. Right. You know, child and it's Donald Pleasance and Dr. Loomis that's in charge of really really like kind of being the, the star to get that through and it worked to a degree um, but what's interesting about um, Myers is you know is they often they don't really call him Michael Myers like like he himself says you know Pleasance calls him Myers but like if you look at the credits to the movie, he's called the shape. The shape, yeah. And which is the which is <clears throat> so fascinating because, like in reality, if you look at if you watch the thing, you you only see a any bit of humanity. I think twice in the whole movie from him, you see the uh, when he's breaking out of the hospital, you see a glimpse of him as a human, right, right. And then and then the very end when he gets unmasked for a hot second, you see a person. But other than that, you just see. There's overall wearing, mask wearing, just figure. Yeah, you never with, even see eyes. You don't really see eyeballs. There's see nothing yes. behind that mask. It's nothing. empty. So like, like you know nothing really about him. And going back to just the, the very beginning, like I said, when he was a kid, you don't have a clue as to why he did what he did. And then he never spoke a word for 15 years. So like so like nobody got any answers. Nothing, so, right? So like you don't know what the heck happened, and then he breaks out, and he goes back to Haddonfield, and then you don't know why he's doing what he's doing. Um, real quickly about the iconic masks. Um, did you know that there was another option for the mask? No, no. What what was that, or what was it based okay. on? So. Tommy Lee Wallace, who was, uh, I don't remember his exact title on this, 
on this film. Actually, let me see if I can find it real quick. So Tommy Lee Wallace is also known for um, being a director. He actually directed Season of the Witch. He directed a few other things. He actually plays Michael Myers towards the end when Michael Myers is breaking into the closet. That's actually Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, He was in charge of getting the masks. Um, He brought back two options. And one was... um, can't remember. I think, I think I think the term was Emmett Kelly. It was a clown mask, and that was the first option. And then the other option was um, he had bought a the the mask creator slash company was the Don Post Mask Company, and he purchased the William Shatner Star Trek mask and um, just play play with the hair a little bit remove the hair along the sideburns, cut the eyes open a little bit, painted it white, and voila. voila. So, um, a very interesting, cool of, uh, aside about Don Post, he was a very famous uh, mask maker in the 60s and I think 70s. The company actually lasted until a few years ago. Oh, wow. Um, wow. But, uh, but uh, Don Post masks were like a, like a thing. And I, uh, my, my grandfather used to scare us with a mask when we were younger and I recently found that mask uh, probably two and a half years ago in his basement and asked if I could have it and I, and I had it and then uh, to my to my to my surprise I was just inspecting it and on the back it said it's, it has in, in carved in a Don Post 1976 so I'm like oh, holy crap awesome. this, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is an original Don Post mask so that, was, that I is was awesome like, I, was very, I was very happy about that so yeah it's a Don Post mask, and they just played with it. It's a William Shatner mask at its, at its core, and it became one of the more iconic masks of all time. And again, going back to the idea of the shape, it's blank. It's blank. It's, yep. it's, 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 as, it's as generic and as featureless as could possibly be. And then the story goes, when, they, when he tried that mask on, when Tommy Lee Wallace tried that mask on in the production meeting, everybody got cold and uneasy and they knew it. They knew, they knew that that was the mask. So, and from there, I guess, you know, the term is, uh, the rest is history. Sure. So, so there's that, um, you know, now we're going to, now, now we'll bring in the other, uh, the other star of the movie, the, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, and I don't remember if this is her absolute first role, but it's among her first roles. Uh, you know, what a career she's had after, since then, you know. Totally, totally. I, I, you know what? I, I want to say it was her first credited role. Yeah. Um, you know, fun fact with the Halloween franchise, I believe, and I might be wrong about Paul Rudd, but I believe The mm-hmm. Curse of Michael Myers was his first and mm-hmm. Halloween H2O was Josh Hartnett's movie debut. Mm. Very wow. interesting stuff. Yeah, a few big actors getting their roles or they're starting in their career off of the Halloween franchise. You know, it's unbelievable. I think, I think, I, I, I think Paul Rudd. I think that's, I think that's accurate. I'm not sure about Josh Hartnett. But I, I have to, I have to look at that. But check that out. Paul, yeah, check that out. Yeah, definitely, definitely gonna have to. But uh, it definitely launched. Uh, Definitely launched Jamie Lee Curtis to the to the stratosphere, you know. And then now we'll tie it back to Psycho, the daughter of Janet Lee, you know, the iconic scream queen, maybe the most famous scream queen of all time, you know, especially especially from that shower scene in Psycho. Oh sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, Jamie Lee comes right comes in, plays Laurie Strode. Um, 
the uh, unfortunate uh, <laughs> target of Mr. Myers uh, towards, especially the the the, the very late half, the very latter um, moments of the film. Um, the as I was watching it, you know, and not to get, I'm not up. Oh, no, I can't. I can't give away. Can't give away my thoughts towards the sequels yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it makes you wonder why because she ends up dropping off the key at, you know, at uh, the Myers house. Technical difficulties all around, but, 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 but we're going to survive. We're going to survive mischief tonight. We're going to do this. We're going to get through <laughs> this. We're going to get through this together. Yes, we are. So, yeah. So I, so yes, go. But like I was saying, Lori drops the key off. Her father owns Strode Realty. She leaves the key at the Myers house. Um, Myers sees her through the window. And then that starts his, I don't know, obsession, fascination, his whatever it is with Lori. And even, and even with uh, young Tommy, because throughout the rest of the movie, or at least the first, uh, first quarter of the movie, I guess you could say, um, He's uh, seen following her at school. You know, he's outside the window uh, as she's um, answering the iconic question or the the question about fate. I guess right, you could say. right, right. And and um, then he's all of a sudden he's disappeared. And then even with Tommy himself, uh, Tommy gets the encounter with the bullies, and the one bully starts to run away and runs right into Myers, and uh, and Myers starts to slowly stalk Tommy and. One thing that I really noticed about um, about Michael Myers as a character, um, and I kind of like it in this respect because I in in the later movies, really really from part two on, he moves very slow and sort of rigid, and whereas in this movie he's he moves like a human, right. He's actually moving like a person, especially especially that one scene with with Tommy. With Tommy, like yeah, yeah. Like 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 actually like he strums his hand across the chain. The link chain fence. link, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like he's a person. Like he's actually like he actually you know takes on the characteristics of a, of a, of a person, which kind of makes it more scary because like I feel like I feel like I've seen that slow zombie like rigid walking a million times or a million different characters, and like it's a little bit more frightening when it's a little bit more realistic yeah at least in at least in my opinion so again so like you know in in later movies it, it focuses on just on like laurie or the family but in reality in the first one he 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 follows tommy so like, That's interesting, Vic. like i never really thought about that i never yeah. really thought about that you're right and they were the first two to you know kind of re-engage at the myers place drop at the key off and it was almost like you know, without knowing what we know now about the storyline, that yeah. it could have been that simple. You know, like yes. a dog, he got like the, the he got hot on their scent. You know what I mean, or something like yeah. that. Again, yeah, and then going back to what I said earlier, the the story itself has a simplicity. Yeah. They showed up at the house. He followed them. He stalked them, um, and then you know it goes. You know, and then all of a sudden, uh, Lori Lori gets out of school. And then that's when that's when we meet her friends uh, Annie and uh, Linda. There's the there's the one scene where Myers is driving by. Uh, Annie yells out, "Hey, jerk! Speed kills!" And then he becomes obsessed with Annie now. 
Right. So he turns his attention towards her. And then soon after that, there's the iconic scene where he's standing behind the bush and then he just he, he quick, quick, quickly vanishes after Laurie sees him. And then even when she goes home, he's in the backyard looking up at her in the window and then vanishes again. Oh, and then as an aside, I, it makes you wonder, is Michael Myers a magician? Because <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because we need know, more like, he, regarding that. He, we need more. He disappears very easily, and he and he did the hand. He disappears while she's looking at him, which is pretty, yes. which is fascinating. Yes. <laughs> yes, you don't even need to look away, and he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> so, so there's that, um, and then you know throughout, and then uh, okay, so so we're we're, we're going to get to two or three of the flaws of the movie, in my opinion. Okay. And, okay, and they and they and they slightly annoy me, and I feel bad saying this because you might not be able to unsee it now. Oh no! Um, Don't ruin it. So Don't ruin the uh, movie now. I I can't. I mean, they're not they're not like major flaws, but they're just like, uh, what's the uh, uh, they're 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 just consistency issues, um, con- continuity issues. That's that's what, I, that's. What I I'm have one. I have one that bothers me. God, I want to see if it was uh, one of yours. Okay. Okay. So uh, so then Annie picks up Lori and they begin to drive towards, you know, to, to, to go babysitting because Annie's going to babysit young Lindsay while Lori's going to babysit young Tommy that night. And it's not a major fl- – I mean, this is – this. I don't, I, I don't even really count this as a flaw per se, but, like, why the hell is she driving her when both – Lori and Tommy ran into each other while walking to school. So, like, they're clearly in walking distance of each other, but she's picking her up. So, like, that's first thing. But, like, I, but like you know, I was a teenager once, and I could be like, all right, she wanted to go drive, and I, I think, and, you know, they, they obviously smoke a joint. So, like, all right, maybe they wanted time to go do that. So, that's not I, – I don't consider that a flaw. But then we get to the flaws. Go ahead. And the first – or the first, the first uh, continuity issue is – they. This is when you you briefly met Sheriff Brackett uh, after the whole Bush scene, but then you meet Sheriff Brackett as they pull up to the hardware store, and uh, he tells them that the alarm's going off at the hardware store because some kids broke in there and they took a mask and they took some knives and a rope. And my problem with that issue is she picks her up at six thirty at night. He had that mask on eight o'clock in the morning. All day. You're telling me that. You're telling me. <laughs> yeah. You're telling me that that alarm's been going off for all damn day and nobody investigated that. So the, I throw I throw a flag there. That's the first one. That's the first. That is mine. Off. That is mine. I agree with you a hundred percent. And that's not even nitpicking. That's not even nitpicking. It's like, wait a second. This guy's been walking no, around that's, that's all day with yeah. that mask on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. That's that's number one, and then number two is right after that. Actually, it's number two and number three, uh, because that scene is uh, is shot in in broad California daylight sunlight, and then so in storyline, she picked her up at six thirty, and then the, they they drive away, and the very next scene you see, it's sun setting, like not quite set but still has a good half hour of daylight, but like the sun is low and you can noticeably tell that the, 
that the that that we're at uh, twilight. Right, right, right. So like, so like, so like, the lighting is is very different. And then right from there, the very next scene you see is they're pulling up to the house that the house is that, that the baby's sitting at, and it's pitch wow. black. Yeah. So <laughs> so like either. I, either either the, the 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 Wallace house is four hours away, or that's just like that. So like that kind of takes me slightly out of that moment where I'm like, how how big is this town? Yeah, yeah. What is going on here? Exactly. <laughs> how big but is like, Adamfield? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So like that's my that's my nitpicking for that. And but the, the the whole time that that this drive is happening, Michael Myers is following them. Um, following them in the car behind. This is when Dr. Loomis finds his way to Haddonfield, meets the sheriff for the first time, and then we're setting up really the second act of the movie. So um, they get where they need to go. Lori goes in by Tommy, and he goes in by Lindsay. Um, and then, like, the real stalking of the movie happens, where, oddly enough, he doesn't focus, really, he doesn't focus on Lori at all until I think she after watching it now I don't even know if he was going to return his attention to Lori because he seemed he was very focused on Annie at this point you know he's watching her from outside the house he's watching her through the windows there's always there's a lot of like creamy uh, creepy shots of right right of, of of he's in the window and then he's gone and then he's there and he's and then you get that 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 scene where it's shooting from behind him and you see him watching her from behind um and then there's that that tie in like i said earlier to the creature from the black lagoon scene like he's very focused on annie um and uh even to the point and then there's that really really awesome scene uh it's actually it's very visually shocking where he actually kills the dog right there where he strangles the dog and then as he's doing so you watch the dog's legs go limp which is i don't know how they did that scene because i'm assuming they didn't kill an animal but like <laughs> it's sort of it's like it takes you back it's like oh that dog just died right there um there's that and then she has the scene out out by out out by, out by the laundry it keeps building where she's just being stalked and she doesn't know it. Right. It's like, it, it's, it, it's like the predator that's just kind of toying with this prey and the prey doesn't even know it's being toyed with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know, and it's funny because when you talk about what likely kind of captivated the audience, you know, initially think about being in a movie theater opening night during Halloween. Yeah. It's yeah. this guy or this whole movie the the victims the targets are high school aged women girls mm-hmm. you yep. know and it it kind of just adds to really this guy's at, at that point maybe perceived psychosis like this guy really is a nut this guy's not interested in you know uh not even not only men or women but this guy is specifically targeting young kids if you yeah. think about that, even today, young kids, you know, it's, it's, uh, again, it's eerie. And to your point now, the way he's doing it, he's almost, yeah. he's toying with them. He's setting them up. Yeah. He wants to do it yeah. the way he wants to do it. It's, it's wild. Yeah. It really is a wild concept. And then, you know, kids in high school, but also again, to my point earlier with Tommy, like, yeah. like, 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 like a legit kid. So it's like, 
and and you know all that Lori and Tommy did was drop a key off, and then Annie just said speed kills. So like that's all it took. And then again, you don't know why. Right. And then and then obviously as this as this is all going on, Doctor Loomis and Sheriff Brackett are at the Myers house. Um, that's when the whole, you know, he, he, that's when they find the carcass of the dog and he said, this is not a man. And then he goes into like telling more of the story and you could just see how on edge and how scared Loomis actually is. And then Brackett's kind of like just taking it very laissez faire, right, very just right, like, whatever. Yeah. like he's just, he's just, he's just, he's just kind of blowing it off. Like, like, like you're overreacting and keeps saying like, you're, you're real afraid. And then Loomis, Loomis is trying to convey why. And it's just, it's not getting through to the sheriff but it's making an impression on us right because we're also watching what's happening elsewhere in the movie and we're putting it all together and we're like oh, this oh is, no this is, yeah. this is this is, this dangerous. is, bad. This is yeah bad. exactly yeah um turns out that annie then uh uh gets Lori to watch little Lindsay, and then we have uh we have our first major kill out of the movie outside of the whole Judith Myers, um, yeah, uh, you know, at the, at the very beginning, which is which is very fascinating because Sandy Johnson, who played Judith Myers, um, it's so weird. She's in that movie for about ninety seconds total. Okay, yeah, and she's Judith Myers is such an iconic character. Yeah, for nothing, for nothing. really, right. And you know, like, like, like two, like two years ago, yeah, I think it was two years ago. Um, when when I went to the convention, it was Sandy Johnson's first convention on the East Coast. Like, you should have seen the craze to get Sandy Johnson's autograph. Wow. And it was like, hell wow. yeah! Like, I want Judith Myers. It's like it's not Sandy Johnson because she was she was she was also a penthouse pet and she did a few other things. But like, it's like no, that's Judith Myers. And she had a whole 90 seconds of screen time, maybe. Maybe. And maybe. what was it? Left boob and maybe left cheek? That was yeah, it? Yeah. And, 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 and she had one line. Michael? Michael! I gotta she, have her autograph. She, gotta and, get it. And then she gets stabbed. But, like, it's Judith yeah. Myers. To the, point where, to the point where, like, I have a replica of her headstone that I'm looking right at. Oh, my God. I love on, that. On, on my desk. I and, love that. Uh... Oh, speaking of headstones, there's the whole scene in the graveyard where they find out that her headstone is not missing. Yep. That's when that's when Loomis realizes that that he has come home, as he said. So, Annie drops Lindsay off, and he goes back to the home. Uh, and again, he toys. This is another way that he has toyed with her because we're uh, after you watch it, you assume Michael Myers is in the car already and has just locked her out. Because she goes to the car, hits the, uh, tries to open it up. It's right. locked. She goes up keys, and then she has to go back inside to get the keys to come back outside. Then she opens the car handle. It's unlocked. She doesn't realize this, but you would figure Michael Myers doesn't have the keys sure. because the keys are inside. So he was laying in wait in the car to begin with and kind of screwing with her. Oh man! By locking he's, it, he's such right? a jerk. Yeah, right? I, I'll like, tell you like, what. I never like, put that like, together. You don't yeah. This. Because, like, you know, I was wild, like, because, like, now after seeing the movie so many times, like, I look for the little things that I never caught before. And I'm like, well, if she has the keys inside, then he got in the car already and just locked it. Right. So he's just laying in wait. So she gets in the car. 
uh, the car is fogged up. I'm assuming most likely due to his breath. She's like, what the hell is going right. on? Uh, he pops up from the back, starts strangling her. And I cannot fully tell how he kills her. I can't tell if he breaks her neck or it looks like he brings a knife up and slits her throat. But there's no blood. so I, can't I, I always thought uh, that, especially the way they kind of do that. Uh, that's not a sound effect, but the it's noise. noise. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah sound, I'm yeah. thinking that that was a, a blow of sorts, whether it was a knife through the... Uh, the back of the, yeah. uh, you know, the chair or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's right. something. So, yeah, so, 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 so then she dies, uh, falls forward, you know, the car horn bla- bla- uh, blares. Oh, an interesting series is that while this is going on, young Tommy starts to see him outside the house. Yeah. And there's the, there's the one scene where I think it was the first time Tommy sees him. All you see is, again, the shape of something over at the other house. And what I thought was fascinating is because all you see is a silhouette mm-hmm. shape, you don't know if Myers is looking towards the house where Lori and Tommy are, or if he's looking in towards the house where Annie and oh, Lindsay wow. are. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't tell where he's looking. All you see is a black shape. And oddly enough, in that, in that particular scene, Deborah Hill is playing Michael Myers, all five foot four of him. <laughs> so, He's a, a he's a he's a very small Michael Myers in that scene, but you can't tell. So again, it goes back to the thing of like I said earlier, you don't know if he was actually ever going to turn his attention towards Laurie again because at first I thought, oh yeah, he's watching Tommy, but then it's like, but you can't tell who he's yeah, watching. Yeah, that's fair. And he's putting all his attention for at least for all that time towards Annie and Lindsay, and then so okay, so Annie dies, and then. Linda, played by PJ Souls, uh, shows up with Bob, and they go into the house where Myers already is, un- with them without them knowing. So Linda is an unfortunate uh, victim in all this because she would never have met her okay. end had she not. <laughs> he was not interested in her in the slightest. Um, he, uh, you know, they go, they um, they do their thing up in the bedroom. He goes downstairs to get a beer. Uh, then we have a really cool iconic scene. I think this might be the first time. No, actually, the first time that I remember it was when Annie. Uh, no, I'm actually very wrong with this. The first time you, you hear it is when uh, Lori drops the key off and he pops up in the window is you hear breathing. the breathing. And I have, a, I have a note here to talk about how iconic just the breathing is because that's the only noise you hear yeah. of his the entire time. And it's similar to like going back to the Jaws analogy, you know, when you didn't see the shark, but you heard the yeah. dun, 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 dun. So like tying it back into where I was, where I was going, when, with, when, when Bob goes down to get the beer and you hear the breathing, you know Bob's in trouble. You know what's coming. You don't know how right. it's coming. But you right. know it's coming, and it's just that breathing. And then he opens the closet, comes out, grabs Bob by the throat, slowly starts to lift him up off the ground, and then impales him with the butcher with the, with the kitchen knife, leaving him uh, suspended in the air, which is awesome. And then just that one little iconic scene—I think it's the first time it was ever done for a masked uh, villain like this—is he does the head nod the head tilt to one side yeah. and the other kind of admiring his handiwork. 
and it's been done by Jason afterwards, and I've, I've seen it done a couple other times. And then they they also recreated a million times in the Halloween series, but like it's never as impactful or as authentic as that moment. Yeah. And then again, going back to my point with he toys with his victims a little bit. He goes upstairs to where Linda's in the bedroom, and he shows up in a costume. He shows up with yeah. the sheet on. And the Bob's yep. glasses. And he just toys with her. He's just watching her and just breathing. Oh, he hears the breathing. And he's not acknowledging her, 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 anything, anything that she's saying. And then she finds her unfortunate demise uh, as, you know, he's, as she's making a phone call to Lori, he strangles her with the phone cord. And something really also kind of iconic about the phone cord, um, uh, scene is that it's the first time you really see his face or the mask yeah. I should say because she 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 pulls the sheet down off of him and you see him strangle her and then she he picks up the phone and listens to what's going on on the other end and you see the mask for the first time because right? the, the, throughout the movie it's either been in shadow or it's silhouette like, or it's yeah, far that's away but, like, you get personal. a clear yeah. view yeah, yeah. Um, and then from here is when I feel like the movie takes um, such an amazing turn is then, you know, Lori's on the phone while she's getting killed, while, while Linda's getting killed and decides to go and investigate what's going on in the house. Right. And like I said, I don't know if he would have come after her. Like it's weird that I have to. No, I agree, Vic. Now that you're time. saying that, because you're right. Going back to uh, that whole scene, really, the you know the the pair of murders that you just described, I think it's significant yeah. in a few ways. Now that you mention it, number one, when poor Bob got stapled to the wall, I think I think that was our first time as an audience realizing, like, not the superhuman strength of this man. But yeah. this guy yeah. just lifted this dude off the ground with his hands and then yeah. planted yeah. him onto a wall. Like, whoa, okay, whoa. You know? Yes, whoa. And then to exactly. your point, he yep. picks that phone up after strangling. And it's almost like when he hears Lori's voice, he's back on the scent. You know? And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, God, she's next. She's done. You know? He gets locked back on. But... But to add to add more to that, though, would he have even gone? Because she comes to That's him. That's true. If you think about it, she comes to him. She she goes to the house, and it's the and it's the really creepy, you know, it's the creepy walk over across the street, and then Carpenter yep. scores there. She goes in the house. She can't find anybody. Oh, and it, it's not a it's not a, again. It's I wouldn't say it's a flaw. But it's something, it's something that, that made me now go, wait, wait, what the hell? She goes up to the bedroom. She finds Annie on the bed with the Judith Myers headstone right yep. behind her on the bed, which is an awesome visual. It's a cool – and, like, that's basically where I got the replica of my right, headstone right. from. It's, it's from. It's from that scene. But it made me go – where the hell did this guy keep the headstone? <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, he hiding he, that he, thing. Well, yeah, well, in the in the station wagon. I don't know. Like, well, like first off, like they weigh a lot, so like 
and and if you remember, like you know, fast forwarding a little bit, Doctor Loomis finds the car and then walks her and then makes his way towards uh, towards where where the where the action's happening. And when he finds Sheriff Brackett, he goes, "Yeah, the the car is three blocks down that way." So we're talking three to five oh my blocks God. away. Yeah, yeah. And then, so 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 he so he so he he carried the tombstone all that way, <laughs> and. Nobody saw anything, and then he just, like, just carried it up the house. It's like that. That was that's just, uh, that, that just that just kind of made me go, yeah, that's a really awesome visual. Yeah, like, that's kind yeah. of. So she so she finds she finds Annie, and then uh, Bob comes swinging down. Uh, his body comes swinging down, and then he find, and then she finds Linda in the um, in the closet, and then this is when I feel like it's the coolest twelve or so minutes in history. It makes me forget every flaw or anything of any BS that may, that I might've nitpicked in the movie. And it just takes it. It just takes the movie from a really good movie to, to, uh, to a great movie is when she's there, she's crying. He's in, he's in the doorway in the blackened out doorway. And then the effect that they used slowly, uh, they have a dimmer on a light and they slowly start to raise the dimmer and it just shines a light onto his mask, letting the audience yeah. know he's there. He comes out of the door, uh, slashes her arm. She screams, falls over the banister, down the steps. And if you think about it, like I said earlier, he has human-like movements. He then goes towards the steps, makes his way down the steps, uh, coming after her. Yeah. He's walking. He's like, kind of like shuffling down steps. the steps. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It isn't the slow the robotic. One, yeah, right. Two, three. Right. He's coming for her, um, and then she goes into the laundry room or, or one room, locks that. Uh, she she's trying to escape. He then proceeds to break down the door. She breaks out of the out of the house, makes her way uh, to to the neighbor's house. They think she's playing a prank. Won't won't help her. And then my absolute favorite scene in the entire movie is when she makes her way back towards Tommy's house and you start to see the shape walking from around the house across the street towards her with purpose. Again, it's not it's not the robotic walk like he's coming for her with Carpenter score doing its thing and she's freaking and she's trying to get Tommy to open the door. And as a viewer. You're rooting and you're yelling at Tommy to open the damn door for her. Like you're you're so well done. Get that scene is so well done. Yeah, perfectly done. And then he opens the door. She she goes inside. Um, uh, she then realizes he's in the house, but she doesn't know where he is because um, it's dark in there. But she but then and then you hear the breathing again. The breathing again, so important and iconic. Um, he pops up. She stabs him with a knitting needle in the neck, uh, which, you know, would, which would, I don't know about kill any, any, uh, a regular person, but it would definitely in, incapacitate yeah. somebody for a little bit. Um, he drops real quick. She goes back upstairs to, uh, get Lindsay and Tommy out of the bedroom. Uh, I remember, I remember the, Oh, real quick rewinding. So I just, I just, I was just, I, was, I just remembered the word boogeyman. Throughout the second half of the movie, Tommy is telling Lori he's seeing the boogeyman right. outside, and she doesn't believe right. him. Meanwhile, earlier in the first half, she's being stalked by somebody, 
and Annie wouldn't believe her. So you would figure if anybody was going to believe Tommy, that's true. Would have been that's really true too. Yeah, but she doesn't. But she doesn't believe him until it's too late. Obviously, so she so she goes upstairs to help the kids. Uh, she's like, I killed them. And Tommy with the with the iconic line, "You can't kill the boogeyman." As he's saying this, you see in the background, Myers is walking up the steps. The kids see him. They scream, and then uh, comes the famous bedroom scene. She goes into the closet. Uh, Myers comes down the hallway, and then that amazing closet scene where she's locked in the closet. He realizes she's in the closet, and then Tommy Lee Wallace as the playing Michael Myers in this moment, who actually built the that closet door, so wow. he knew how to hit it. So he hits it perfectly, breaking it down. Meanwhile, she's screaming in sheer panic as he's breaking in because she realized she's trapped. She's in a closet. He's, he knows where she is. Uh, she grabs the hanger, puts a, uh, pokes his eye out with the hanger. Yeah. Really cool and visual. And then stabs him with the uh, – and then he, he drops the knife. She grabs the knife and she plunges that knife really deeply into him. Um, kind of when I watched it earlier, I went, Ooh, cause like, I don't know why the, I, I, I guess the sound effect of it made me go, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, he, he drops again. You think he's dead because at this point you just think he's a human. Right. right. So she comes out of the, she goes, she goes out of the closet, walks over Meyer's, uh, body, um, gets Lindsay and Tommy sends them out of the house to go find help. And then the classic sit-up happens where he sits up, turns his head, looks at her, and then begins to stalk her again. And then just walks towards her. She has no idea he's there. It's just amazingly brilliant, brilliant, brilliant scene. Starts to strangle her. She then pulls the mask off, revealing a young man, just a normal-looking young man. And then, you know, Loomis finds his way into the house. Six Puts, shots. I think, six yep, shots into the, him, if I remember correctly. That's I the shot line, him yep. six times. I shot him six yep. times. <laughs> um, and then he's just standing there, though. He's just standing there with that breath, with the, with the breathing going, finds his way over the balcony, take, takes the tumble, and then you find him on the ground. He's dead. Until – and then Laurie with, with the famous line – it was the boogeyman, wasn't it? And then Loomis says, as a yeah. matter of fact, it was. Looks over the balcony and he's gone. And then I love how the movie ends. It ends with the uh, uh, cuts to the different uh, places where, you, where, we, where, we, where we've seen already, whether it's the staircase in the house next door or the front of the house next door or... Uh, the Myers house, like it, it cuts the places that you've seen along the way. The breathing, and it just yeah. has the breath growing, and you just and, and you know the the breath is just is just signifying he's he's out there, he's he's still there, and then it cuts out, and like I cannot say, I I think that that is an absolute perfect perfect ending. Again, Donald Pleasance, I don't know if you know this, but Donald Pleasance uh, was not given any direction on how to play that final no, scene. No, I didn't know that. Um, it wasn't scripted. Sir. It wasn't scripted for him to react like that. And then he asked, he, he knew how to do it, 
he knew what the right way was, but he went to Carpenter and went, how do you want me to play this? Do you want me to play this as, oh my God, he's gone? Or, or I knew this would happen. And Carpenter said, do both. And the right choice was, I knew this would happen. And that's the take that's in the movie where you could tell, because he's not freaking, he doesn't freak, he just goes, oh, like, yeah, he just knows the evil is You know, Vic, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Man, because just, that was one of the things that, yeah. you know, we don't know it until really the, the opening scene of Halloween 2, where they kind of re-film yeah. that same yeah. scene from a different angle, but then you're right. He's yeah. running the bracket yeah. and he's excited, yeah. but like, you know, in, in disbelief. I shot him six times. Uh, you know, he's not human. Yeah. It's And it's almost like, well, you know, we, you've been saying that for two hours. Like, we knew that. And it's almost like he, fi- like, yeah. yeah. to your point about Carpenter saying, you know, act like you've known it. Like, that's going to be the case. You know, this guy's not a man. Uh, but yeah. still in disbelief, yeah. no one probably would have expected borderline immortality out of this guy you know and uh it's it's just yeah again kudos to pleasance for just playing that role as masterfully as he did yeah. because it, it uh i i don't know of of many actors that could have delivered that type of emotion in that role he just did such a good job he really did yep yep and like like i said again like it was that was that was all Donald awesome. Pleasance's idea. Just that final scene. Like, like, like I said, he, he went to Carpenter and he's like, do you want me to play this as, oh my God, right. he's gone. Or I knew this would happen. And he knew the way to do it was, I knew this would happen. And he just plays it so perfectly. And it, just, and it cuts off in, at that end with, that, with the breathing. You don't know where he is. You know he's still out there. And that's it. And then, you know, going back to something that you brought up uh, towards the very beginning, I think. Okay, I'm gonna start. To, I'm gonna start to give my analysis of, yep. of the sequels and where and where it went. So there was never. This is factual. This is factual. It was there. There was never intended to be a sequel. Wow. One sequel of this movie. This was. This was that. This movie was over. Like this, yes, it was the, the film, the story was over. And then, so this was in 1978. And I think the remake or not remake, the part two came out in 80, 81 in that, in that general vicinity, the, the, the studio begged him to do another one. I don't, I'm pretty sure he's not the director of the second, oh, that's interesting. but he is the producer of it. Right. John right. Car- meaning John Carpenter. And and also, like, if you look at the second one, there are some. I think the second one's a really good sequel, but there are some big differences in the actual movie itself. Like the first one being like, like I said earlier, Nick Castle as Michael Myers moves like a human. He moves like a human, oftentimes with purpose. Um, whereas, and then when you get into the second one, um, Dick Warlock, who plays Michael Myers, is very robotic. This this is when this is when the the whole right. robotic Michael Myers starts. That's that's one of the major differences. Um, second one is we get the introduction of the family member dynamic, where uh, Laurie is now all of a sudden his his um, 
his sister. Um, but then when Carpenter agreed to do part two as a producer with the, ex- with the expectation that this was an end. Right. Right. To, this was the right. end of that story. Cause the figure is at the, at the end, of, at the end of that movie, she shoots both his eyeballs <laughs> yeah, out and they yeah, blow him up. That's true. Yeah. Game over. Game yeah. over, man. Yeah. That's, 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 that's an end. And then the reason why season of the witch came to be was their, 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 in their, um, their intention, John Carpenter and the Akkad family, their intention was they were going to release a new Halloween themed movie every year. Wow. That's how season of the witch came to be. It was the first, it was the first, it was the first of the first stories to happen. And then after that was going to be another one and another one and another one. And then people got so angry that Michael Myers was not in Halloween three that they brought it back to Halloween four, right, five, right. six, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's how four came to be was people got annoyed and mad that it wasn't part three, but the intention was never to take the Michael Myers story past part two, really, really past part one. That is, that's really two, interesting, you know, and you always wonder if that's, you know, as far as the studios doing their research and whatnot, was part four a derivation of yeah. the audience, to your point, the upheaval of, of going to Halloween three and there's no Michael Myers and the studio realizing that, man, these people yep. loved that guy, loved that story. We got to give them something uh, or even something as maybe kind of out of left field, but maybe the success of the Friday the 13th franchise and seeing, you know, we, we can't let Jason Voorhees be, you know, the slasher of the, you know, of the eighties, you know, we got to bring this guy back, mm-hmm. you know, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's how, that's, that's the, the real story of what happened with the franchise and how it became to be my that Now we're going to get into my personal, you know, feelings towards it is, you know, like I said earlier, I love Halloween three. Season I don't call it Halloween three. Yeah. I call it season of the witch. Cause like I, I consider it its, its own standalone movie. I would have loved to have seen what they were going to do with indif- individual one-off Halloween inspired horror movies in terms of like where they, where they were planning on taking the series. I, I would have loved, I would be very, very happy if Halloween one was the only movie in the franchise. Because like I said, I felt like that ending, yeah, just that breathing, yeah. the way it ended was, it, like, for me, you could have put a bow on that for me, and I would have been amazed by it. But then Halloween 2 comes along. I think Halloween 2 is a really solid sequel. I enjoy it. Um, the only thing I don't like about it is I don't like that they brought right. the sister dynamic to it. And the reason the reason why I'm not a big fan of that is because the thing I feel that worked about the first one is that you don't right. know why he's doing this. He's emotionless, pretty much formless, motiveless, reasonless. There's not like it's just it makes you wonder. It's his place with your head. Why is he doing this? What's happening? What's going on? Yeah. What is he going to do next? You don't know. 
one once you bring the sister dynamic into it, then it's like, yeah. oh, you gave yeah. her a reason. It was random about two uh, as and, part of one of the opening scenes is when uh, they kind of investigate, I guess it was the schoolhouse, and he wrote Sam Hain on the board. Yes. And they never did anything with Sam that. Sam Hain, yes. No, they never did anything with that. And again, which then, I'm assuming had they gone further than that, though, that right. would have given you more reason. More like, because there was, you know, he, he wouldn't have just wrote that for the hell of it. Right, right, exactly. In 15 years. So, like, it would have given more of a reason to what he's doing. Whereas, like, I, you know, like, like they called him the shape in the first one. Like, like right. a shape. It's a thing. Like, and all of a sudden, oh, he's, he's just coming back to, he, he, now it's like, oh, he's coming back to kill his sister. But, like. Like I like I like I said earlier on, he he also went after went after he stalked Tommy, so like that whole idea of the sibling element, right, was nowhere near the first one. It was not it was nowhere on nobody's lip of any radar. I understand people love the whole sister dynamic, and right? It's not my cup of tea. Um. Uh, and then obviously they they took that further in four or five six six cetera, et cetera. and I and I, don't get me wrong when when Halloween twenty eighteen came around yeah. I was a little happy that they yeah. didn't do with that <laughs> I was not I was not upset with that with that element being gone but yeah that's that's what happened with the franchise and that's why it ended up being the way that it did and I feel like you know I I felt like part four was a, was a decent entry. Um, I like the introduction of the Jamie Lloyd character. Like I said earlier, Don Nevano Loomis played a great part in really carrying that movie. I, the, the actual Michael Myers itself felt really big and clunky and yeah. Frankenstein yeah. kind of like. Um, the, the mask is horrible. The mask is horrible. Um, the mask is horrible. I, I got to say, I think five, he had horrible. a much better mask. You know, they dirtied it up a little bit. It was a little bit more kind of sinister looking. Before he kind of looked like a clown, I agree. Yeah, my my actual my, my favorite mask of the sequels is yep. actually this the Curse of Michael Myers mask, the Part Six. I feel like that's a pretty cool mask, and I also I actually like the way Myers is portrayed a little bit better in that one. Um, but again, with with Six, you they they also gave more of a of an explanation for yep. him. You know, the whole concept of Thorn, and whereas like it's like. So like it's like you're straying away from the basic, yeah. From, from what worked, yeah. but there's a there's a there's a there's a really cool. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a really cool YouTube video. It's um, and for anybody listening, I, if you haven't seen it, I suggest you look check it out. Is um, yeah, uh, it's of somebody filmed the reaction of the audience uh, in 1978. Of the scene where he sits up at the end and stalks right. her, and the very end scene, and the reaction of people, like the screams when he That's sits so cool. up, yeah, beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> uh, 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 <clears throat> it's beautiful. And also, this is a, a side note uh, r- related to that scene. But if anybody has ever watched pro wrestling sure. and has uh, ever seen the Undertaker. The Undertaker has directly stated that he got inspired to do his sit-up uh, in his matches from that scene. So Halloween has inspired The Undertaker to do one of his iconic things uh, that he did all throughout his career. So that's, that's right. Hey, go back to that, that, though, Vic. What, what inspired um, 
Nick Castle yeah. to do that. Because that wh- – wh- where did that come from? Great question. Great question. I wonder if I, that was I, him, I, I like know. a, a creative decision on his end. It. It's, it's, it's beautifully done. It's shot perfectly. Where she's where she where she's in the door frame, yeah, uh, in you know in the in the in the foreground, and and then he's in the background, you know, kind of blurry a little bit, but then you see him sit up, and, and then just yeah. that white face turned to him, toward turned to her, I should say, uh, just, just very very well done. Um, obviously, after this, um, Carpenter's career uh, <laughs> took off, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, going to going to movies like They Live is probably probably his. Uh, I would say Halloween is his is his biggest movie, um, or his most famous movie. I think his best movie is actually The Thing, um, the 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 remake from the movie that he loved uh, so much. Because just I think that's a, that, that's a masterpiece of a movie as well. Um, but the definitely his legacy in terms of Halloween lives on with his very because the the tension and everything that's built throughout the movie and maintained is just absolutely amazing. Um, what else did I have to say? So the uh, this amazing film has spurned eleven films total between 1978 and 2018, with two more to come, which I think is pretty amazing yeah. uh, that we're still doing this. Um, so are I'll you ready, are you ready yeah. for the finances? Yep. All right, all right. So Halloween 1978, um, and this stood until 1999, was the most profitable profitable independent movie ever made. So from 1978 until 1999, so we're, we're talking 21 years. Um, any, any, any guess as to what movie uh, took, took the, took the title in 1999? Are you there? Did you disappear on me? I cannot hear you. Well, I don't know if Nick is, uh, is still here, but I'm going to say the most profitable independent movie ever made uh, for 21 years until 1999. Uh, it grossed uh, more than $47 million. Uh, it cost $325 million to make. Let me see if I can uh, make a note here. So with $47 million... Uh, with today's inflation, you know what? I'm gonna to try to bring him back on real quick. Oh, he can still hear me. Oh, he he can hear me, but uh, I can't hear him. So I'm 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 just gonna keep talking here. All right. So uh, he cost three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to make. It grossed forty-seven million dollars, and with today's inflation, that movie uh, at basically what forty-seven million dollars was in 1978 in 2020. That is $187,600,000. That made a ton of money. Um, yeah. That's that. That's that. Uh, my favorite movie. Nick's as well. I wish you, I wish she could be back on here, <laughs> here to sign off with us. But uh, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing where this film has taken us. It's an iconic. It's all over TV right now. I know AMC is playing it. Um, playing a lot of the franchise over and over again. Um, but yeah, that's that. Uh, it's, uh, it actually opened the doors for movies to come and inspired movies like Friday the 13th um, and a ton of others because Friday, Friday, the, 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 the Friday the 13th inspired eight lots after that. So 
without Halloween, there probably would not have been a Friday the 13th, which means there would not have been a lot after that. Um, with that, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to put a bow on this one, a bloody bow on this Halloween edition. Whether you are trick-or-treating, dressing up, partying, or handing out candy, hope everybody enjoys their Halloween or had a good Halloween. Uh, I'm going to sign off for him, and I'm going to thank him. Thank you, Nick, for being part of this conversation tonight. It's a very good time all around. Much appreciated the conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it for listening this long. Thanks for hanging through, hang, hanging with us through the technical difficulties. Um, with that being said, Everybody take care, be well, stay safe in this crazy world, and at the very least, have a happy Halloween.